it is good to be with you on this Lord's Day. And uh, man, uh, we just praise God for last week. That made my heart swell in so many ways. Um, God is good, amen? Amen. There is another opportunity. As a church planter and as someone who has swam in those waters for the past uh, three to five years, I want to arm you uh, with antidotes as you speak to the city. Oh, it's just another church. Let me just tell you, you native Memphians, you people who drive the streets on Sunday morning, is there any traffic jams? You find that you can't get to where you need to get to? Are there overwhelming amounts of people going to these churches that are so populated in Memphis? No, man. Right? We need as many churches as people willing to leave. We'll take them. Churches great, small. We'll take the ten thousands of hope, and we'll take the, the small of Lily Baptist over there on your grandma street, the one she go to. <laughs> we pray for him. We thank God for what he's doing here. We thank God for our existence. Uh, last week, we man, Jeremy, man, I, I just sometimes I have to not listen to him, but you know, I got hoarse last week because good news. <laughs> He said, Tim, I got it about the third time you said it. I said, I needed to bring it again. How many of y'all know it's good news yeah. for all yeah. people of all time? Yeah. I pray that it missed you last week. I pray that you were in your car. I said, it's good news. Because we got to remind ourselves it is true, y'all. Ain't it so? It is true. Good news that God is returning for his people. He has purchased the people for his blood. And he is redeeming and reconciling and bringing all things to himself. And he's preparing a place for his bride. A place where there's no more death. Yeah. There's no more mourning, no more pain, no more tears. I'm ready right now, but I'll stay and kick it to Gina until it's time. <laughs> hey, so, you know, uh, last week uh, we certainly did that. And I kind of just foreshadowed that this week, we would, that's what we call the gospel in the air. This week we're going to deal with what we call the gospel on the ground. How it really interacts with us, Jesus' atonement, his blood. How that interacts with us personally. Um, and uh, how we get into this magnificent kingdom, right? I'm sure all of us can remember very specific times uh, where we were required to do something that that there was angst and anticipation over maybe being chosen or selected. Uh, some of y'all, I could tell that you were part of beauty pageants and things like that because you look so wonderful out there. Uh, you know, muscle competition. I don't know. But like, you, you all, we've all been the kid who's stood outside and we've waited on the teacher to come out of the classroom and post the list, right? Right. I worked in the field of anxiety for about four years before um, I, I actually jumped into full-time ministry. I was in the admissions office at Buck, the Bucknell University. Should I sing the fight song for you just in case? <laughs> but, but, you know, I worked in this, right? And so um, I was admissions counselor. I would go all over the East Coast. I'd meet kids. And, you know, some of you are living this right now. And I love the kids. But the whole process used to annoy me, especially like the applications and the interview process. And they come in, you know, with the blue blazers and the loafers and the Oxford, just what you're supposed to wear, right? And so they come in and sit down with the portfolio. Hi, Mr. Johnson, I just want to tell you that, you know, I participate in these extracurriculars and this and that. And I mean, it was just the step for story. Oh, my God. I didn't know. Sometimes I would literally 
Bob and those things like that. Was that you or was that the girl from Oklahoma? I don't know. But to, so I don't want to offend you, but you know, sometimes I just, man, can I uh, meet some authentic people? Because I'm just yeah. hearing the same thing over and over. Not to dissuade some of you high school seniors. Do what you do, all right? But anyway, <laughs> but some silly things and those things are kind of get redundant. But you know, it was the anxiety. They knew there was some kind of cutoff. They knew that we were only accepting about 20% of our applicants, and so they were always worried, man, how am I going to get in? What am I going to do? And uh, it was funny, some of them would get in, and then, uh, you know, it's so funny, you see the, the young man with the blue blazer and the Oxfords, Oxfords and, you know, in the, in the deck shoes, and then all of a sudden I passed by on Friday night, hey, it's your job, What happened, What happened to you? Right? So it all changed so very fast. Put that blue blazer back on, my man. Anyway. <laughs> But what are the requirements actually to getting into the kingdom of God? Being a part of the magnificent uh, uh, kingdom that Mark so adamantly and boldly declared was coming. Uh, according to Mark, this is what we'll do. I'm going to shoot my shot right now. Uh, there's going to be two things uh, that we need to deal with. The forgiveness of sins and repentance. This is going to be what we're going to deal with today kind of almost take a more systematic look at these two subjects. But in order to be a part of the kingdom of God, we must have our sins forgiven and we must repent. Let's go back and read Mark 1, 1 through 3. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it immediately goes into a prophecy. As, is it, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. So after this big old announcement that I went horse screaming about last week, the good news for all people for all time, we have this uh, pro prophecy that Mark chooses to include, right? And it's describing the events that's going to precede the Lord coming, right? We learn that there's going to be this messenger. And this messenger is going to have this very specific task. And that task is to prepare the way of the Lord who is soon to come. And then all of a sudden... Uh, I love this. It just says, and John appeared. Verse 4, John appeared. Yeah, Mark didn't really mix his words. He didn't want to give you too much. Just John appeared. Right? So, John appeared, and uh, John is immediately connected to the someone who's coming. He was the forerunner. He's the messenger who is preparing the way of the Lord. Um, now, John's going to be identified by uh, Jesus as the one later in Mark who comes in the spirit of Elijah. Um, if you skip down to verse 6, this is... All I will say about those of y'all who participate in No Shade November, and maybe you want to put on camel's hair and wear a leather belt and eat locusts and wild honey. But anyway, this is this is almost the carbon copy of Elijah, this Nazarite vow, and this is kind of how he, uh, uh, John the Baptist is coming. Once again, John's role was to prepare the way of the Lord, and that pre preparation was directly correlated to what we find John doing. All right, uh, what do we find John doing? Let's read verse four. John appeared, and he's baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Let's talk about baptism just for a brief second. Now, baptism is almost inexclusively a Christian word, right? And it's going to appear for the first time in the New Testament, right? Historically speaking, John's baptism was a new phenomenon. He's kind of doing something a little bit different. Now, ritual washings were common in the Old Testament. We've seen those um, shouted out. I love Bible trivia. You know anybody who took some biblical washings? Oh, don't tell nobody what church you go to because you don't know. You ain't biblical. Yet. But how about name in, right? Those, those ritual washings were 
uh, common in the Old Testament. They became increasingly more common in Judaism. Um, in the specific Jewish sect, the Qumran community, they practiced these uh, ritual washings. But John's baptism was a little bit different. Turn to your neighbor and say it was different. It was different. It was different. Right? Turn your neighbor and say it was different. It was different. Right? Because those ritual washings uh, were sort of repeated washings. But John was calling the Jewish people to a singular instant of baptism, right? It almost indicated the beginning of a new commitment, right? Um, sometimes the Jewish community would practice the ritual washing of a new proselyte. New Gentile was coming into the family, so they would, hey, brother, you got to get dumped. Some of y'all probably need to practice that with these men who are seeking out your daughter. Because you're, yeah. Come on over here, bro. I got some water running. We got some So if they saw a new person trying to come into the fold, hey, man, you got to be cleansed. We got to deal with your sins, right? Uh, but what John really was uh, uh, underneath the surface, what he was really saying to the chosen race of God's people, he says, it's not enough for you to be an ethnic Jew. Listen to me. It's not enough, Hebrew of Hebrew, Israelite of Israelite, for you just to have been born in that specific genetic line. You must have your sins dealt with. Amen, somebody. Amen. Now, just a brief word on Avenue Baptism. Uh, we love baptism. Everybody say, yay, baptism. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's an important part of our church. It's an important part of our denomination. Uh, we will do two sacraments here at the Avenue, and we hope to do them a lot. They're going to be communion, and it's going to be baptism, right? Um, now, John's baptism was exclusively about uh, uh, cleansing, right? What Paul will kind of give us later is that baptism also has another amount of significance to it. It's identification with Christ. Romans 6 and 4, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, right? This is what we believe is happening for us also when we baptize, is that we are being raised in the newness of life. Now, we plan on doing a lot of baptisms around here, right? And what the scripture kind of will not uh, put tight parameters on is the amount of water. And we are kind of limited with that water action here at the avenue. So I don't know where we can dump you in McKinsey not pick us up, all right? So we just going to have to do what we do. But we will dump. And we will sprinkle, right? We believe that infant baptism, and you can send whoever you want to come talk to me, we believe that's in keeping with Scripture. We see that throughout. It is the covenant sign and seal. Baptize you and your household. Circumcise you and your household. Believe it or not believe it, right? But we do believe that baptism itself is not salvific. Amen, somebody. I know a lot of folks have been a lot of wet. <laughs> and they are not a lot Christian. Right? Amen, somebody, right? Baptism in and of itself is ceremonial, right? That's why we have some flexibility there. But ultimately, everybody who is a part of God's family has to come the same way. You've got to have your sins forgiven, and you've got to repent, all right? So back to John's baptism. Many believe, um, oh, hold on. Y'all made me lose my thought. <laughs> All right, then. Um, the way into this magnificent kingdom. Forgiveness of sins and repentance. Your sins need to be forgiven, y'all. And since I've already started my collegiate antidote and analogies, I shall continue 
with uh, my applications today about college. Uh, if you're like me, then sometimes you're late. Not all the time, not even most of the time, just sometimes. Somebody turned to my wife and said, hey, he's just late sometimes. Just sometimes. Right. Um, but every semester, it was time to register for what? It's time to register for your classes. I would go to the registrar's office, and, and Kathy would know me by name. She's still my Facebook friend. Kathy Gass. I come in there, hey, Miss Kathy. I, I hate to do this because I am a manipulator. It's the brokenness I struggle with. I hate to reveal this because some of y'all don't know, oh, he's manipulating me. I'm being true with you. Hey, Miss Kathy, I had football practice, and, I, and the coach is yelling at me, and I miss home. I know it's late, but would you just would you help me out because I really need to get into history 202? And she, sure, Tim. I'm so sorry. Did she bring me brownies and stuff? <laughs> We're working out there. You got to work. You got to work with me. But, so I go, I always be late in the registrar's office. She send me out, she say, hey, hey, before you get in that class, now you gotta get the sign by your academic advisor, you gotta get the form signed by your professor, and so on and so forth. And I was good with that, because I tried to sweet talk them too, and you know, my sales <laughs> and whatever. But then, every once in a while, I hear that dreaded P word. Because if you read your course catalog, like you great students out there, you already knew what courses you had to take in the successive order that they needed to come in, so on and so forth. But if you were kind of like me, you'd probably get to that last semester and like, oh, whew, I need 101 before 401. Oh, man, that's going to be a problem, right? And you even hear that dreaded P word sometimes. You say, Tim, there is a prerequisite. Oh, some of y'all knew it, so you just lived it. I saw somebody put their hands down and say, oh, Lord. Right? And you know about prerequisites because they only talk about one professor who's always on sabbatical and he only has two spots available in the class and he only teaches every other year. Oh, I'd be hurting. I'd be hurting with them prerequisites. Right? Now, that's a goofy way, but ultimately what we're trying to say today is the kingdom of God has prerequisites. There's things that have to be dealt with before we go in. And they are forgiveness of sins and their repentance. Now, what is sin? The Westminster Catechism would say that sin is any want or conformity to, unto, or aggression or transgression of the law of God. In the modern English, we would just put it like this. Sin is any failure to measure up to what God requires or any disobedience to his commands. In every if, if, if there was a time to maybe scribble a note, just put this on your heart. In every area of our lives, God sets a standard that creates order and harmony and flourishing for society and ourselves, or reflects his character. In every area, every sphere of our lives, God sets a standard that creates order, harmony, and flourishing for society and ourselves, or reflects his character, right? When we sin, we basically fail to meet the standard, okay? That's what it is. Now, sin manifests itself internally and in the habitual, ha I mean, the habits of our soul, as well as in the outward conduct of our lives. We say sin, whether it's by omission or commission, whether we just neglected to do something or we were just willfully, willfully rebelling, right? We, sin, we see sin all the time. Sin is not just a mere violation of the law or the Constitution. Sin is not just a mere violation of the law or the Constitution, nor of just the system, but it's a personal offense against a good, loving, gracious, and holy God. Let me say it one more time. 
Sin is not merely just a violation of some laws, some constitution made by some gray-haired dudes with big bellies somewhere. Sin is a personal offense. It is a personal affront and assault against a good, gracious, holy, and loving God. Somebody say it's personal. This is not the same thing as Ladies, when you are driving down Summer Avenue and all of a sudden you're coming from Bible study, but don't tell people you're coming from Bible study. Right? <laughs> you're coming from Bible study and you were doing 65 on the 45 and all of a sudden you get lit up and you pull over to the side and you start the tears. <laughs> My baby's in the back. You know, the police officer roll up to the car and say, you know, and you're crying. Please, just give me one more chance. And the police officer says, ma'am. I'm so sorry he can give you a Kleenex. He's a man. I'm so sorry, but I don't make the laws. I just have to enforce them. This is not that, y'all. This is not some distant, disconnected, relational thing, but this is an offense against a God who fearfully and wonderfully made each and every one of us. Personally knows every hair on our this is our God and our Father. See, one of the things I'm starting to understand in my 10th year, almost 11th year of parenting, is how impersonal they think the discipline is. They think that me and the mom just sitting there, come on, let's, let's add another article. Come on, another clause, an A point, two points. Let's figure out how we can just make their lives miserable. <laughs> and, and as our children are getting older, they're getting more and more emotional and rebellious about the laws. Like, people are stomping out. I'm like, what's going on, Gina? story of Uzzah, 2 Samuel 6. They marched and I could imagine it was like boom, 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 boom. It would be like Alabama State, not like University of Memphis. They don't like rock like that. <laughs> Literal presence of God. 
And so Uzzah was walking behind. He thought he was just being helpful because the oxen hit a little rock or something and started to slip. And the ark looked like he was about to tilt over. Uzzah was like, oh, man, this is my church. These my people. Let me just let me help out a little bit. Brother stuck his hand out just to stabilize the ark. And he fell out dead. Why? Is God being cruel? What's the problem here? Listen, this is my friend Tom, uh, Tim Challenge just wrote this. I thought it was just really helpful. Just by reaching out his hand and touching the ark, Uzzah was acting as if God was not holy at all. As if he were maybe God's peer, he was treating God with contempt. R.C. Sproul says that Uzzah's fatal mistake was thinking that his hands were less filthy than they were actually, than the mud on the ground. What is mud but dirt and water doing the will of God? Mud has never sinned. It has never disobeyed God or hated God or tried to raise itself up in the place of God. Mud has never committed adultery or hated anyone or taken God's name in vain. But Uzzah was a sinner in rebellion against his maker. His hands were filthy because his heart was filthy. And when his sinful hands touched that holy ark, God responded with just wrath. Sin demands justice. This is what it is. Punishment. And punishment is made visible by wrath. My prayer today is that we have not become too familiar with God. That we haven't become too cozy with sin. I wonder today, have you allowed sin to reside more comfortably in your life than you all have? Sin is a big deal. Your sins must be forgiven. I've been around enough churches now and heard enough sermons that people don't even use the word sin anymore. It's like the, ooh. They'll use the word mistake. They'll say you've lost your way. Won't, won't use the three-letter word sin. But let me just tell you, as you live in this relativistic Society that's becoming more theistic than, than, and God is detached than personal. Let me just tell you, if there is no sin, why are we here, y'all? Why are we here? Because if there's no sin, then there's no problem. There's no beef. There's no reason to praise every time we walk into. But the Bible clearly tells us sin's a big deal. Before you get into this kingdom, we gotta have that dealt with. And we gotta have it repent. Your sin must be atoned for. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. But this is why we come. But praise be to God that He made Him who knew no sin become sin for us. That in Him, what could we do, y'all? We could become the righteousness of God. I, I like 1 Peter 2 and 24. That he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin to live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. I wish I could get an amen. Yes, Death to sin and living to righteousness is the only appropriate response to having your sins forgiven and to the mercy of God. 
right? Paul says it plainly. We know this. Therefore, I, I beseech you, brothers and sisters, by the what? By the mercies of God, what? To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto him, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. This is repentance. This is, that's what it is. You get your sins forgiven, you've been extended mercy, then we repent. Repent is not just a verbal, I'm sorry, Lord. Gotcha. It's not just gratitude, thank you, Lord. No, repenting is an about face, right? It is a turning in the opposite direction. The collection of Greek words used for repentance would just say to change one's mind, your purpose, and your life as the result of prior knowledge. This is what true repentance consists of. Scribble it down somewhere. It consists of a true sense of one's own guilt and sinfulness. Like, we're not, me and my wife, we, we joke all the time, because a lot of times preachers will just talk about some proverbial they out there. We don't know who the they is. We don't know who they, what they supposed to just. Those people, right? No, 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 no. No, when you repent, you own your sin. Yeah. It's me. Got me. When we're up here, we're not saying, oh, there are some people out here who are just not living the life that God wants them to live. They're not trusting in Jesus. No, we're talking to you, actually. He's <laughs> <laughs> not just to throw it out there. It's you. Somewhere in your heart, in your life, you, whether by omission or commission, are completely resting. And this is not a scolding. This is a reminding that you don't have to go the opposite way. That you can actually trust and rest in Christ Jesus. Where is it, friends? And are you owning where you are? Sometimes it's so funny. We, we joke all the time. You can sit down with your spouse and, and you know, we counsel people and say, all right, man, just tell me, what, what, tell me what's wrong here and where your wife may be at fault. Man, brother won't stop talking. And this, and then back in 92, and they just got the list. Right? And then we say, okay, well, tell us where you have maybe failed to come short of, of what you need to be for this marriage. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, G, that's not how that works. We're most oblivious to our own sin, man. We have justified it. We've covered it up. We're so good at walking in here. Me and Gina know that I'm so glad that I'm pastoring now because I'm really out the door before me and Gina can really even get into it. There's so many times, there's so many times I get here and we done just had a big one. It's like, love you. Hey, I'm doing less faking now than ever before, right? But we're so good at faking when we walk in these doors, aren't we? Lives are mess, a hot mess. But it's true of all of us, y'all. Yeah. No pretense. We need his mercy. But we first gotta own it. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Right? Secondly, it's an apprehension of God's mercy in Christ. It's a sense of helplessness. You have to own your sin, but you also have to capture the essence of helplessness. Mercy is, you know, I love when you look at the, the old, you know, 11th century, all the medieval times, right? And you talk about throwing yourself before the mercy of the king. You're not walking in there upright like, hey, king. Let's just, let's make a deal, man. Now listen, I know I messed up, but uh, I know there's something we can do about it. No, 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 that's not mercy, right? Mercy is throwing yourself at the feet of the king because you know you're helpless. There's, no, there's nothing you can do in and 
of yourself, to absolve yourself from what you've done. Does anybody help us today? Every time we sing before the Lamb of God, I'm just bawling. It's like, please, Jesus. Please. I need it. Because the sinless Savior died. What does it say? My soul is come free. What is, oh, my favorite. And it pleased the Father to look on him and pardon me. What do you say? It's just mercy. So we admit our sin. We own our, our guilt and our sin. We throw ourselves on the mercy of God in helplessness. And it's one of my favorites. We hate sin. It is ever inappropriate. You know, I got two boys, and I'm always like, hey, man, you can't hate your brother. You got to be kind to little Johnny. Let him have that toy. Share it, right? But, boy, you can hate the devil as much as you want to. Mm -hmm. Does sin still repulse you? Can I tell you, everything that is wrong in my life, everything that is in disarray, everything that is providing me discomfort and angst, everything that is wrong in this world is a result of sin, and I hate it with every fiber of my being. hate having conversations with my son and he's trying to figure out whether he calls the guy he used to call uncle. Do I call him by his first name or do I call him mister? I hate that I had a brother that I couldn't meet till I was 30 years old. I hate sin. And I refuse to play nice nice with it. Because it is trying to literally rob me of every beautiful gift God has ever given me. I hate that lust is in my heart. And I wake up every day to a beautiful and faithful woman who doesn't deserve that. I hate sin. That's why when we wake up, we do as Colossians says, we try to literally put to death those things that are still earthly in us. Do you hate your bad attitude or have you let it just sit comfortably in your house? Do you hate your materialism that won't let you be content with God's blessings in your life or do you just let yourself indulge? Come on, y'all. Do we hate it? Not because we're taught to hate it, because you know it has robbed you. Yeah. It has robbed you of peace. It has robbed you of joy in your life. The joy that he's died to provide for you. <laughs> Lastly, sin requires that, repentance requires that we endeavor to live a holy life. We about face and we just walk. This is not perfection. This just means that, hey, we just keep pressing forward, make a couple mistakes, we keep moving forward, we just keep pressing on. Tell your neighbor, keep pressing on. Let's get off the train. This story concludes with John telling the people that someone is coming 
that someone was actually coming who was mighty, more mighty than John. John says he wasn't even worthy enough to untie his bootstraps, and that was the most menial and literal worst job you could ever have in stanky toed Israel. Everybody had the Air Jesus sandals on. All the time, your feet was nasty, rocks in them, toe jam. And they wouldn't even give that job to the lowliest of slaves. Nobody wanted to do that. John says, I'm not even worthy enough to do that for this man who's coming. Because his baptism is going to be totally different. I'm baptizing you with water, symbolizing the cleansing of your sins. But there's someone whose baptism is coming, and he'll baptize you with the Spirit. And it's looking forward to a day when people would choose to put their faith in Christ. And not only would he cleanse you, but he'd live in you. Amen. Isn't that a good God? He's not just going to spank you and say, do better. But he says, I'm going to live in you to help you do better. Come on, amen. That's good news. So today, guys, we all have to travel the same way. We've got to have our sins dealt with. But the good news is that someone is here to deal with it. That you can be forgiven. And you can repent. You could hate the way that leads you away from God. And you could run the best you can towards the way that you know will lead you to life. That's repenting. For those of y'all who are unbelievers and you don't know Jesus, you don't know that you're walking with him, all I can tell you is two things. You've never seen someone hold a greater grudge against sin than God. And one day he will avenge those who chose to walk in the ulterior way they were. That is true. I will not hide that from you. But you've also never seen greater grace. Amen. You've never seen someone love enemies or sinners the way that our God does. Amen. By literally giving his body for those who walk in the opposite way. Choose Jesus. For those of you all who are in the fold, all I can say is don't get too comfortable with what you know is trying to take stuff from you. Oh, it's just stop it. Find accountability partners. Find men's groups, women's groups. Come to Bible study. Call your, your pastors, leaders. Somewhere where you can confess sin. And you can confess it. Why? Because, hey, we know the truth is every one of us in this room still dealing with sin. Amen. Secrets out. Got me. I wonder if pastor deal with yes. Yes. It's that, right? I will spare you the gory details. It is true. We confess and repent sin and repent because we, all of us still deal with sin. And we can confess I mean, uh, and repent of our sins and still keep that practice is because we've been given the spirit to fight now. We don't have to just keep taking the haymakers, but we can. We have the power to live to God. Amen. And lastly, we can confess sins because the punishment has already been taken care of. You can come home from school and say, yeah, I got an F in conduct. <laughs> you identify? <laughs> But you can come and you can tell on yourself because you know you're not going to get the work. Someone else already got it. Amen. And that's not fair. 
don't you ever forgive it. Those sins that you flippantly just kind of, huh? Someone did pay for those. And it wasn't you. That's why we praise him. 